0: Uh, Take your notes out if you have them. I would like to uh, spend just a couple of minutes this morning talking about first fruits. First fruits. Uh, And for our emphasis, uh, the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. Uh, A bank in Binghamton, New York, had sent some flowers to a competitor who had recently moved into a new building. There was a mix-up at the flower shop, and the card sent with the arrangement read with our deepest sympathy. The florist, who was greatly embarrassed, apologized. But he was even more embarrassed when he realized that the card intended for the bank was attached to a floral arrangement sent to a funeral home in honor of a deceased person. That card read, Congratulations on your new location. (laughs) I love that illustration. How many of you here are planning not to die? (laughs) Yeah, silly. You never know when you're going to die. Now, what's wonderful is as followers of the Messiah Yeshua, there is the reality of the return of our Messiah. And if he returns while we're still alive, then we will not die. We will instead be changed, as it says in the scriptures. But barring that wonderful miraculous activity, we will, we will eventually uh, be dead and we'll be in a new location. Uh, but again, for us as followers of Messiah, in fact, this is true for everybody. You know, when we die, the new location that we have is only temporary. Because all people will have to be resurrected from the dead and stand before God. Because God did not create us to be temporary. Man was created, and I say that in terms of man and woman, men and women, mankind was created to be eternal. We, are, we have, each one of us, an eternal soul. Alright? Uh, the question is, where are you going to spend eternity? As followers of Messiah Yeshua, because we have accepted the atonement of Yeshua's blood for the forgiveness of our sins, we will spend eternity with God. Alright? For those who reject that truth, they will spend eternity separated from God. Now what makes all of this relevant for this discussion this morning... Is the issue of the resurrection of our Messiah? And when you look back into the Torah, and you look into the, when I, well, the Tanakh, all of the Tanakh, what you find is that very few people ever rose from the dead. Anybody know of any instance? Up top of your head, can you think of one or two people who were who rose from the dead? Elisha uh, raised a boy. He prayed. And uh, and God healed this boy. Actually, raised him from the dead. Anyone else? What? What? Isaac. Well, Isaac didn't die. (laughs) Not Esther. But Elijah also did that. All right. So we have only in in the biblical text two examples. Two examples, no more, of people rising from the dead within the Tanakh. Now, uh, what's interesting also is that in the New Testament text, we see a couple of other individuals rising from the dead too. Can you think of anybody in the New Covenant text? Lazarus rose. The fellow who fell out the window. And then the the uh, the widow's son from the city of Nain. The <laughs> and the girl, right, Jairus' daughter. Okay. We see in the New Testament a number of these But you know what's interesting is is that the resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah, was unique compared to all of them. And uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. Alright. So turn with me in your scriptures. Turn with me to Leviticus 23. I first want us to touch on the holiday of uh, first fruits. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14. Leviticus 23, 9 through 14. Page 136. Page 136. All right, I'm going to read out loud as you follow along. It says, starting in verse 9 Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel, after you enter the land I am giving you and harvest its ripe crops, you are to bring a sheep for the first fruits of your harvest to the Cohen. He is to wave the sheaf before Adonai so that you will be accepted. The Kohen is to wave it on the day after the Shabbat. On the day that you wave the sheaf, you are to offer a male lamb with a defect in its first year as a burnt offering for Adonai. Its grain offering is to be one gallon of fine flour mixed with olive oil, an offering made by fire to Adonai as a fragrant aroma. Its drink offering is to be of wine one quarter. You are not to eat bread, Dried grain or fresh grain until the day you bring the offering for your God. This is a permanent regulation through all your generations, no matter where you live. Here we have this really event. It's an event. Leviticus 23, we see the event of Passover. That is the, the killing of the lamb, representing the lamb from the Passover in Egypt. Then you have the seven day holiday of unleavened bread. Where we are to eat matzah, again, my challenge for you, if you've been eating wonder bread, stop it. As Jews, God has commanded us to set aside all the normal food and to eat matzah. It's really a command from him to demonstrate our faith in him and also to, uh, to understand what it means to, uh, to experience the, the speed of God's redemption. All right. Uh, but then uh, we have another event here, which is called first fruits. All right, Yom Bechorin, the first fruits, and it's an event because a person is to take the first cutting of their harvest, and they're take it to the to the temple in Jer- temple in Jerusalem and offer it there as a sacrifice. and offer it there really as a donation, a representative donation, recognizing that everything. That individual has grown. The entire crop belongs to God. But that he's giving a first gleaning of it back to God. Demonstrating the priority of God and demonstrating that everything belongs to Him. Alright? So that's what the whole point of this holiday is. It's, again, not a holiday. It's an event. It's a point of remembrance. There's uh, uh, certain things that are done here in terms of of uh, how they're to... to uh, process, this donation or this offering. Uh, One thing that I want to mention is that the date of the event seems to be somewhat confusing in Jewish tradition or Jewish history. uh, People have not been, I mean, differing of opinions, okay? Uh, In the first century, the the Zadokim, who were the priests who controlled the temple, uh, celebrated the holiday of Yom HaBikarim on the day after the Shabbat. So on Sunday, okay? It always would occur on a Sunday. Uh, that's because they took uh, the holiday literally. The uh, the uh, the Pharisees uh, would instead begin count, begin or celebrate the holiday on the day after the, the day of Passover. All right. Uh, today we uh, understand the holiday as uh, according to you know uh, the um, the tradition today is to start counting on the second day of Passover. Uh, But going back and forth on it, people argue about it. You can talk to me later if you have any questions. But the point is, when do you start counting the Omer? Uh, And so today we count it on the day following Passover. What, uh, um, What I want to emphasize quickly from this and then move on into the New Covenant is that God expects you to recognize that everything you have belongs to Him and that you need to be willing to offer it all to Him. All to Him but most certainly to give back to God a representation of it. When you give your offerings, your tithes, and we talk about tithes and offerings, tithes really is is a fixed amount where you're giving back to God a sizable percentage, in essence, of what He's blessed you with. Offerings are above and beyond it when you recognize God's bounty in your life. But the whole point is to recognize that God has blessed you, and therefore you're giving back to Him as a recognition of His blessing. All right? And if you're, and if in your life you tend to be cheap with God, I, cur- I encourage you strongly not to be. If God is indeed the King of the universe, we need to give Him our best. And we need to give back to Him generously. All right? So that's one very practical point to mention from uh, the holiday of First Fruits. Uh Point two on your outline, which I've been only roughly following here. Point two on your outline, uh, I want to discuss, though, the resurrection in terms of first fruits. So God had promised Messiah Yeshua, uh, God had Messiah Yeshua resurrected first fruits to encourage our trust in Him. And uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. At our Passover dinner, we had the uh, lovely opportunity to discuss a book by Rob Bell. And uh, Rob Bell's book is just so popular today. And uh, it seems um, off the charts in terms of selling. But the premise of the book is that uh, God, you know, salvation is not unique to those who believe in Yeshua, that God is much more of a universalist that you can be a good Muslim, or you can be a good Hindu, or you can be a good whatever, and you can have a place in the world to come. God is a God of love. God is not exclusive. That's what Rob Bell's book basically teaches. Now, I'm not a scholar in these things. I rely on others. So my good buddy, who I stayed with in Minnesota, just got done reading the book and doing a review for his entire denomination. And he basically said, the book is garbage. Now we're going to talk about why it's garbage right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. It says, For among the first things I passed on to you was what I also received, namely this. The Messiah died for our sins in accordance with what the Tanakh says. And He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with what the Tanakh says. And he was seen by Kepha, then by the twelve. And afterwards he was seen by more than five hundred brothers at one time, the majority of whom are still alive, though some have died. Later he was seen by Jacob, then by all the emissaries. And last of all he was seen by me, even though I was born at the wrong time. For I am the least of all the emissaries, unfit to be called an emissary, because I persecuted the Messianic community of God. But by God's grace I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I have worked harder than all of them. Although it was I, it was not I, but the grace of God with me. Anyway, anyhow, whether I or they, this is what we proclaim, and this is what we you believe. And I'm going to stop there. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is making a defense for the resurrection. He is making a defense for the resurrection. If Yeshua the Messiah died, that's, if He died a martyr's death, that's honorable. All kinds of Jews have dar- died martyr's deaths. Okay? But it's not abnormal. Martyrs die all the time. What makes Yeshua's death significant is that He did not stay dead. Now, some have said, well, Yeshua rose in spirit. There's a whole philosophy, a whole theological slant that says that Yeshua rose in spirit. Now, if Yeshua rose in spirit, how is that significant? First of all, it's a little intangible. But second of all, it's not consistent with what the Scriptures teach. What is the miracle... And the amazing power of the resurrection is that Yeshua died for our sins and then bodily rose from the dead. His body was resurrected. When you read in the Gospel accounts, one of the things it makes very clear is that his body was resurrected. He said, Touch me, feel me. Tell Thomas, that doubter, that he could go ahead and put his fingers into my nail prints. You can't put your fingers on anything that's just spirit. Yeshua ate with them. Spirits don't eat. And so the power and the abnormality of this entire situation with Yeshua is that He died for our sin and He rose from the dead. Now going back to Rob Bell's book, no one else claims to die for sin and provide atonement and then rises from the dead. What we believe in Yeshua is unique. And what makes it unique is His death, which we celebrated at Passover, and His resurrection, which we remember at first fruits. If you are here today, and you don't have a problem with the death of Yeshua like a martyr, but you really don't get the resurrection, then you do not understand the Besorah, the good news of this whole thing. Because the power is found in the resurrection. Paul is stressing this because of these individuals in Corinth. And and just because the book is long doesn't necessarily mean they're very long in their spiritual growth and development. These are puny believers with serious problems. So we need to take what is challenged from Paul to them and make sure that we ourselves are not slipping into the same mistakes. Take a look. Chapter 15, if the resurrection is part of the message of Messiah Yeshua, which I just talked about. The second point, B, the resurrection is essential. Take a look here, 1 Corinthians 15:12. It says, but if it had been proclaimed that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, how is it that some of you are saying there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then the Messiah has not been raised. And if the Messiah has not been raised, then what we have proclaimed is in vain. Also, your trust is in vain. Furthermore, we are shown up as false witnesses for God, in having testified that God raised up the Messiah, whom He did not raise up, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then the Messiah has not been raised either. And if the Messiah has not been raised, your trust is useless, and you are still in your sins." Also, if this is the case, those who died in union with the Messiah are lost. If it is only for this life that we have put our hope in the Messiah, we are more pitiable than anyone. I just like it when he's so blunt. A couple of points. First, some actually argued that the bodily resurrection of Yeshua just didn't occur. We talked about it. And, and that was a thought. It's a Greek thought. The Sadducees had this thought. You know, that, that there really is not an afterlife. There really is not an eternity. Alright? Uh, you know, Jewish thought has had the concept of transmigration of souls. It's mice, It's narshkite. It's illogical. But we've had this mentality for a long time, probably because of, of Greek mentality and some of these different philosophies that had floated around. Uh, and so it's been absorbed into some, uh, some Jewish thought. Paul is, uh, so, but Paul is combating these people, basically saying your logic doesn't work. Point two, some are, Paul argued that this was the essential teaching of their witness. The resurrection of Yeshua was the central teaching of their witness. When you read the Gospel accounts, what you see is what changed the apostles. What changed Yeshua's Talmudim was the fact that Yeshua rose from the dead. It completely radicalized them and changed them. And then finally, Paul also pointed out Yeshua's resurrection was essential for the forgiveness of sin as a completion of the Gospel program. If Yeshua died but didn't rise, then there would be no forgiveness of sin. Maybe you haven't thought about that. But it's a package deal. Yeshua rose from the dead, confirming and certifying that what He had done was valid. Also, what's interesting is He rose from the dead as the first fruits of our own resurrection. I mean, uh, as followers of Messiah Yeshua, like I said, we're all going to be resurrected, either to life or to death, eternal life or eternal death. But because of our faith in Messiah Yeshua, our resurrection toward life is assured. So the resurrection is an essential teaching of the New Covenant text. And an essential teaching of the Besorah, the good news. I want to read, uh, uh, actually, uh, yeah, let me read this thing real quick. It's by a guy named Kurt DeHaan. I don't know where I got it from, but uh, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Why we believe Yeshua rose from the dead. If Yeshua did not rise from the dead, our faith is a foolish fantasy. However... If the resurrection of Messiah did occur, it confirms his message, his life message, and atoning work. It is the hope, is the basis of our hope of life beyond the grave. Messiah is alive, and the evidence is overwhelming. Here are some of the reasons we can be so sure. First, Yeshua predicted his resurrection. We see that in the Gospels. Two, the Hebrew scriptures prophesied it, Psalm 16. Three, the temple, the tomb was empty, and the grave closed vacant. If those who opposed Messiah wished to silence his disciples, all they had to do was produce a body, but they could not. And what's interesting is the New Testament preserves uh, one effort to try and silence them by saying that the disciples stole away the body, but uh, but it didn't stick because everybody knew that that was just not accurate. And this is the reason why it didn't stick. Many people saw the resurrected Messiah. They looked on his face, touched him, heard his voice, and saw him eat. And claims were made, just as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, in regards to that. You know, it's amazing. People in in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing, it's probably around 55 55, uh, CE or 55 AD. It's been about 30 years, or sorry, about 20 years since Yeshua rose from the dead. And Paul's saying, you don't believe me? Just call Shromo. He was there, you know. Just talk to Yixi. He was there. Go talk to Frank or June or whoever. Just use the names. They were there. They saw Him. They're not getting paid off. They're just normal people who saw Him. People saw Him. Fifth, the lives of Yeshua's disciples were revolutionized. Though they fled and even denied Messiah at the time of his arrest, they later feared no one in their proclamation of the risen Messiah. And they didn't get rich doing this. They all died miserable deaths, generally. But they never shied away from proclaiming the resurrection. In fact, if you remember Paul at Mars Hill, what got him ridiculed was the proclamation of the resurrection. Finally, men and women today testify that the power of the risen Messiah has transformed their lives. And if you are here and you are a follower of Messiah Yeshua, you can testify to that as well. There is a real power in this message. And that's how we end this uh, chapter. Take a look at uh, verse 20. Verse 20-23, through this is point 3, or C, the resurrection is proof of the gospel's power. It says, but the fact is that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have died. For since death came through a man, also the resurrection of the dead has come through a man. For just as in connection with Adam all die, so in connection with the Messiah all will be made alive, but each in his own order. The Messiah is the firstfruits then those who belong to the Messiah at the time of his coming. Isn't that amazing? Let's see these holidays just flow. (laughs) And this holiday, the holiday of first fruits, a reminder of Yeshua's resurrection and an encouragement for us that God forbid anybody here drops dead before they get home today, as a follower of Messiah Yeshua, we have eternal life. Great encouragement. Great encouragement. Well, I want to read uh, something a little depressing. This is from Mark Twain. Mark Twain became morose and weary of life as he got older. Shortly before, because he had a lot of bad financial dealings too. But anyway, shortly before his death, he wrote, "A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infiniti- infirmities follow." Those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned to aching grief. It, death, comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence, a world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. When I was a kid, I just wanted to make sure that when I died, people knew about me for at least a few hundred years. You know? I mean, (laughs) I was odd. But I remember eight, nine, ten years of age, being focused on the fact that I wanted to have a, a, a reputation and a fame. And yet, when you really add it all up and you think about it, most people die unknown. It weren't for the fact that we have a tradition of burying people with headstones. Generally speaking, people would be buried unknown. The only thing that matters is what we do for God, though. You think about it, all the money in the world, all the fame, a lot of the pharaohs, with all the things that they did to preserve their identity into posterity, a lot of those guys aren't really known anymore. Kings and leaders the only thing we do it's only what we do for God that lasts and so the challenge and the call for us as we consider eternity is let's live for what matters let's forget about personal fame and instead let's glorify the Lord our God let's remember that life is short let's remember to count our days and number them carefully that they might each day be effectively used for the Lord our God, whether we live a long life or a short life. And the truth is, and I'm sure that, uh, that those of us who are old in this room can testify, life is, is difficult. Life is difficult. But if we live each day for the glory of God, I believe life is not just bearable, but life is a wonderful adventure. As followers of Messiah Yeshua, we must take this day, this holiday, and this time remembering first fruits, and remember and and allow it to powerfully remind us of God's incredible plan of redemption. Specifically, remembering the resurrection of our Messiah and the eternality of life. So, how do we apply it? Let's recommit ourselves anew to live lives 100% committed to God and His will. That's kind of a mantra for me. (laughs) All right? But think about it. Are you really living your life according to God's instructions? Or are you throwing God a proverbial bone? Don't throw the bone. Throw your life. All of it. 100% of it. Learn to give your best to God. Second, recommit yourself to using every opportunity to speak of this essential truth. That's what we see. The people are so transformed by the resurrection that that they just tell everybody about it. Why do we get so hedgy about it? Because we're living in a secular world and we're afraid people will think of us as being stupid. You mean you're really religious and you really believe this stuff? If you're a follower of Messiah Yeshua and you believe in the good news, the Besorah, then yeah, you believe in the resurrection or you should. And it should be transform you, and drive you to proclaim a message, a message people desperately need to hear. And maybe you are here, and you've heard about Yeshua, you've heard about all this stuff, but you don't really personally believe it. My challenge for you this morning is believe it. Buy into it. It's not just an intellectual thing. The power of God is a very real thing. And if you are not really believing it, then you're not experiencing the real power of God in your life. So I, I challenge you on this day, on this particular day as we, as we remember the resurrection of our Messiah, to make sure you believe in what He has done, in dying for your sins, making atonement for you, but also rising from the dead to clarify the reality of, of what this is all about. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank You so much for the truth of Your Word we thank You for our Messiah who came to make atonement for our sin. God, we thank You for the fact that He didn't stay dead, that You rose, him, you ro- you rose from the dead. That You raised Him from the dead as a testimony of, of the truth of who He is. Help us, God, to please live worthy of His death, but help us, God, to please live radical lives because of the resurrection. Help us to desire to live out the power of His resurrection. Again, we just thank You so much for the truth of of Your Scriptures and the encouragement of it. And I pray that for each one of us, for each day we have, for every breath we take, that we would be committed, God, to living for You and for Your purposes. That our lives would not end miserably as Samuel Clemens' life did, God. As Mark Twain's life did. But that our lives would end in glory, God glorifying you for all that you have done and thus living lives of tremendous value and purpose we pray all this in